When we started, we actually made 100 t-shirts before we even launched our website. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how they sold 100 shirts before launching their store, how to build a community that engages with each other, and why the type of content matters depending on which social media platform you're using. Today, I'm joined by Mallory Rowan from LVD Fitness. LVD is a lifestyle apparel company that provides one month of clean water for every item sold and was started in 2015 and based out of Ottawa. Welcome, Mallory. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so you started this business as a school project? Yeah, so it was in my last year at university, um, one of my entrepreneurship classes. I had one the year before, and we did a group project, and we had to come up with this concept, right, for a product. And I felt like I put a lot of time and energy into it just to, at the end of the semester, forget about it. So the next year, I knew I really wanted to do something that I was actually passionate about. And I was really lucky because I'm a university, uh, Carlson here in Ottawa. They really do encourage entrepreneurship. So they were actually pushing us to pick, you know, projects that we'd actually want to pursue after. So it started as a class project. And then I actually ended up asking my co-founder to work on it with me, who wasn't even in the class at the time. And we just kind of dove in from there and decided to keep rolling with it after the semester ended. Got it. So did you even have to make a decision to go get a job versus continuing with the business after that? You pretty much just stayed with the business right from the get-go? No. So we started it as students. And then once I graduated, I did actually work full-time. So we were really used to, you know, being on that grind, being full-time students and both competitive powerlifters, which takes a lot of hours in the gym. Um, so we just kept on that same grind, got full-time jobs, covered us with some benefits, had some steady income um, because at the time it was still really fresh. Mm-hmm. We hadn't even launched when I graduated. Um, it was still very much just in that ideation phase. So yeah, we worked full-time while growing it and I only quit my job last uh, May. Got it. So when you did graduate and got your full-time jobs. How did you guys find the time to squeeze in the opportunity to work on the business? Yeah, we were really lucky because we were also living together. So it definitely helped things out because you're just squeezing every spare minute, whether it's waking up early or staying up late, trying to design that next collection or figure out the logistics of events. Uh, It was honestly just every spare minute we would put into it. We would take the weekends to go to events so that we could get right in front of our customers and You just kind of get used to it, you know, working on your lunch hour, working late nights. um, You just find the time where you can. Mm -hmm. When you first launched the the business, was it uh, t-shirts or what kind of apparel did you start off selling first? Yeah, so when we started, we actually made 100 t-shirts before we even launched our website. So we had the brand all finalized. We had actually done a bunch of wristbands that just said the name of the company without the logo even honestly, because we didn't have the logo in time for when we needed to print, but we really wanted to get our brand out there. So we were, you know, started out by just giving out these wristbands. And then we decided to make a hundred shirts and sell them offline because we didn't want to invest more after we already invested in the branding process, working with designers. We didn't want to invest more on things like Shopify. Um, if you know, we make this product and nobody's interested. So we made those hundred shirts. We decided if we can't sell them through word of mouth to our own community, we have to go back to the drawing board. So that's what we did. We went to one event. We just spread the news through the school. We had all the sports teams being really supportive. And we ended up with 
all of our shirts sold and some back orders. So that's how we really knew we had something. You were going to what kind of events, like powerlifting events? Yeah, so we were specifically focusing on the niche of powerlifting. Um, Part of where our inspiration for the company was, was that powerlifting was growing so heavily at the time, and it still is today. And it's really shifted who a powerlifter is. I think a lot of people have this conception that powerlifters are bald, bearded, tattooed, fat guys. And that was really changing. And there was this modern powerlifter and we liked minimalistic over skulls. We liked really simple, clean designs. And we liked a lot of things that were being targeted in different niches, but not ours. Um, So that was really what we focused on. So we went right into those powerlifting events and we were able to find a lot of people who were similar to us. And were these events, like, did they have like, did you sign up for like a booth or something? Or like, what was the, how did you start selling your t-shirts once you got to the, to the event? Yeah, so we definitely set up booths. Um, at most powerlifting competitions, there's, you know, one main stage going on. And in the back, there's often um, protein or any type of supplements, those kind of businesses, some coaching stuff, some equipment. So we decided to ask some people for some booths. And luckily, because the sport was so early and people are just so supportive in that community, uh, we were able to do most of it at no charge, which is kind of unheard of. Most event sponsorships are insane pricing, right? So they said, you know what? It makes our event more interesting. It gives our audience something else to do in between lifts. So yeah, come on, set up. And people were really, really great about it. Was it because no one was selling apparel and no one was selling apparel like yours? Like why were they so interested in having you come basically for free? Yeah, I think that was definitely part of it. There was no one selling apparel. The whole concept of lifestyle apparel in powerlifting was unique at the time. So we were printing slogans on shirts that didn't exist on shirts and they related to it on a level and they knew that their lifters and their audience would. So it brought a different element. And as you mentioned earlier, we have that give back model as well. Uh, So that's always really great to get other people on board because they're like, hey, I can just give this person a table at the back of the room and it's going to help provide clean water to someone in a developing country. God, to have that kind of mission that goes above or it goes beyond just your your brand and products, I think helps you tell your story and it helps people want to help you out basically, which is exactly what happened in your case. So once you were going to these events and you guys had your hundred shirts and you're selling them, what were you learning from customers during these kind of one-on-one like in-person sales uh, that, in, that maybe influence your design or influence your business? Yeah, we definitely got some great feedback early on. Um, it really pushed us to come out with more products because people were just so quick to buy that first t-shirt and then they wanted more. So we made, you know, decals early on and we had the wristbands, but we were kind of running out of things to give them. So that's when we started making a few more items for our online launch. So we added a zip up, we added a hat, um, we added all these little things to be able to give people more of a package. Um, And that was really, really helpful because it also taught us a lot from a sales and marketing perspective. Got it. So you decide to expand to different types of apparel, like you said, a zip up, uh, instead of just, you know, printing new designs on shirts, at least initially, what made you guys make that, that decision? I think it's an important one because a lot of people get stuck at this phase and they're trying to say, should I just put what's already with the design that's working on other things or just design new things on the same, you know, shirts? Yeah. One thing we were really lucky with is that we had a really powerful, brand image from the start. So in fitness specifically, it's easy to start up a t-shirt company, right? So in fitness, you'll often see people come up with a name and then slap a logo that has a barbell on it or something similar to that. And for us, we actually spent three months with designers working on 
over 50 logos to find something that felt like us, that worked in all the different ways that we wanted it to work. And I think that putting that groundwork in was really helpful because it made it that we could put our logo on a hat and people wanted it. People wanted to ask right away, hey, where'd you get that hat? Because it was just a cool logo. So that was one side that was really helpful. And then on the other end, we were in this timing play, right, where powerlifters didn't have a brand they identified with. And that's how we felt as well. So being part of our own audience was really helpful. And, you know, you can have three t-shirts, but I want a t-shirt. And then when I'm cold, I still want to wrap. So I want to wear a sweater. And when I go outside or when I'm lifting, I need my hair to my face. I want to wear that hat. So that was really what pushed our decision to not just do more t-shirts, but to offer people products that weren't currently being offered. Because you could get some equipment, like company t-shirts, you could get stuff like that, but there wasn't that high quality look and feel that we were looking for. Mm-hmm. So you said that you you before you even launched or before you made the shirts, you spent three months with designers to work on 50 designs. Where did you find these designers? Like how did you go about that? Tell us a little more about that process. Yeah, so that started right after um, the semester finished. So we actually spent like a whole semester going through different ideas and it wasn't until the end of the semester that we finally landed on just starting with a lifestyle brand. And I was working at another startup in the time in the tech space, but given what the product was, we had a lot of graphic designers. So I approached one of them and I said, Hey, I know you have a lot on your plate, but is there anyone you could recommend for something like this? And he connected me with um, a couple that had just started out. They had graduated and they were doing their own graphic design firm. And it was a really scary experience at first because we met up with them. They had a very formal contract. And I think we put about $3,000 into it. And at this point, you know, Myself and my co-founder, we were actually newly dating. We were like coming up with this idea that didn't even have legs yet. We were like, wow, we're really going to put money into this. But we knew that we didn't want to have to do a rebrand. And to this day, we haven't done a rebrand. So that was really important with putting in that time that people often skip just to make sure that the brand is in some sense going to sell itself. Right. How did you know that you had the right design? Like, What were you guys looking for? Uh, I think a lot of it is gut instinct because we had the social aspect too. And that fitness side, um, a lot of the logos we explored either felt too typical of um, a not-for-profit kind of on that softer side. And then the other side, some of them felt, you know, too lifestyle, too street. We had some functional characteristics we were looking for too. So we knew that we wanted our logo to be able to go horizontally um, or vertically we knew that we wanted to be able to have an icon so the logo could stand on itself. But then we also wanted the word mark of LVD that could be combined or it could be separated. We knew we wanted it to look good on a t-shirt, on a front of a gym, on a water bottle. So we really looked at all those different elements so that later, you know, when we sponsored an event, it's not like, oh, seeing it up there on the poster, it doesn't look so great. We really wanted to make sure that every platform we used was going to have a powerful impact. And I think that was really helpful too, because some of the logos that we liked were cool, but they might have been circular and that was limiting in certain uses. Got it. So once you guys were preparing for this online launch, you sold out all 100 shirts and you're now preparing to launch online. What was you got, What did you guys do next? What did you know you had to put in place before you could do an online launch? So for us, Instagram was a huge thing. Um, it's how we started even before we had our website. It's how we announced the event we were going to be at. But Instagram is a insanely powerful tool, right? So we can connect with people all over the globe. So I think bringing our brand to Instagram and connecting through our personal accounts, even with, you know, powerlifters that we'd met already through Instagram and letting them know that this brand was coming 
it really was powerful. And on the first day where we opened our website, we actually had global sales just simply by having friends on Instagram, which is so wild to say, because years ago, you would not have global sales just by launching a website, right? Mm-hmm. So on Instagram, you guys already had like a brand profile as well? Yeah, we had started that up in the summer, kind of to prepare for what was coming. We wanted to let people know that something was brewing. And then as soon as we got those shirts, we grabbed um, my co-founder's cousin, actually, who had taken like one high school photography class. We're like, hey, you have a camera and you want to be our photographer? And we just started creating content, which was really big, too, because in this space, there was no professional looking content. It was such a neglected part of the fitness industry. So people were really excited just to see like, hey, that's somebody squatting, you know? Yeah. So how did you build up the following before you even had the products? I think uh, word of mouth in the niche was specifically powerful, but leveraging those personal accounts, we didn't have huge personal accounts at the time, but we had people that were in our direct audience. So it was that ability to narrow in on who that audience was. And we did a lot of groundwork from the brand account too. So we would, you know, lay in bed at night and we would be following people. We would be commenting like on people's videos and making sure to have authentic comments, not just like, great video. It would be a specific comment about the personal best that they just hit. And I think that was really powerful with showing people that we were real people behind this brand. And is Instagram still the number one social network or platform for you guys today? Yeah. So what we noticed really early on um, when we tried testing with others, Twitter wasn't really big for us. We did do a little bit of Snapchat, but as soon as Instagram stories came out, Snapchat was dead to us. Um, And what we learned about Facebook was that people liked connecting with the story of the brand on Facebook. So we would do really well when we post about an incubator we got into. But if we posted, you know, just a motivational post that we would post on Instagram, it didn't really get that same engagement. So we've definitely focused in on Instagram. And just given our niche too, fitness is so heavy on Instagram. So it really was finding out where our audience is and just zeroing in on wherever they go. So if they leave Instagram, we're going to go with them. You know, post like how frequently you're doing. Like, give us an idea of how you ideally like to run your Instagram profile for the brand. So right now, we typically post, I'd say, every two days or so. Especially just with more recent algorithm changes, it's no longer chronological. So you don't want to be overflowing people, but you want to be a consistent presence. Um, we often use our stories to promote promotions, or we like to feature people wearing LVD. So we love when people tag us, and then that's an opportunity for them to feel special and for us to connect with them and show people what it looks like. You know, if you're considering this shirt, here's a real person wearing it during their workout. Um, so we definitely try to have stories every day. And we do have some sponsored athletes as well. So they're posting on their Instagram accounts to try to spread that visibility. Do you find ways to encourage your customers to to engage with you or to like post your the, them wearing the products on their Instagram profile? Yeah, so we've done a lot of testing with Instagram. Something... That was fun is how I mentioned posting um, people wearing LVD in our stories. At the end of the day, when it comes to social media, I think everyone's a little bit narcissistic and they love that idea of, you know, putting themselves out there. So when we started sharing people in our story, it was like, oh, cool, I could be an LVD story. And that's very different than just posting on your own account. So I think that alone was a really big motivator for people. And I also think it's a way for them to connect with other people. Got it. So by, by you posting a, a on the story on Instagram, a customer of yours wearing it, it people recognize, oh, I could be on there too. So then they start 
tag you trying with, with, with the hope of getting on your Instagram as well. Yeah. And something that's been really cool is, you know, people might see us post someone and realize that they go to the same gym as them. And then LVD has now connected those people and, you know, they might train together next time. Or we've had stories of people going to the gym and seeing someone else in LVD and it gave them that opportunity to know like, oh, that person's a power lifter too. I'm new here. Let's connect. And then they'll post and tag us in that. So that's been really cool. Got it. So you, you, I think you credit your community with a lot of your success. Like how would you describe them? Like where, where do they collect? Are they mostly collecting around Instagram? Like how are they engaging with each other? Like tell us a bit more about the community aspect of your the brand you built. Yeah, Instagram is definitely a huge way to co- um, to connect everyone on the global level. Um, more locally, definitely the fact that these people attend a lot of the same events. So there's a Canadian national championship, there's a U.S. national championship, and then there's a world championship. So it's different opportunities for people to connect on all those different levels, um, which I think is really cool. And then connecting with the brand, we also really emphasize our email subscribers. So what we do is when we launch collections, um, we launch to our email list first. Do you try to have a presence at all of these events still? Like to when there's like a powerlifting event, you got, are you guys, is that part of your strategy today? Uh, on a smaller scale, definitely early on, it was every event we could get to. Now we've kind of shifted um, based off the return on investment. It's a really nice idea to be able to sponsor every single powerlifting event, but not all of them will really have returns, especially if you can't physically be there. Um, so we do still try to sponsor to support the sport, but we've shifted you know, some of that budget to online so that we can grow the online sales bigger and bigger compared to event sales and putting money into things like a loyalty program instead. Got it. For someone out there, for a brand out there that's starting from scratch, starting a community from scratch, and they want to follow your footsteps by going on Instagram, are there things that you find that you guys have been able to do to get your community? Because I think one, one key thing about community is that they are talking, interacting with each other. Have you found ways that worked really well to get that kind of engagement between uh, you know, your customers, between members of your community? Yeah. So I think one thing that's worked really well for us, which we kind of fell into, um, is using real customers for our photos. So we don't use a modeling service or anything like that, partially because we just didn't really know where to go. So we were like, hey, why don't we take photos of these people we know in our city that wear LVD? And it's cool because then they get photos of themselves and then we get to post our actual customers. So we started doing that. And that was a really cool way because people will see faces they recognize or they'll see people that look like them. And I think that's a really big difference is a lot of the times when we follow these brands, especially in fitness, you don't see people that look like you. And it's, it's a really important factor in connecting with a brand because, you know, a lot of the times you see them, every person on the page is an extra small. And if I'm a large one, I don't know how I would look in the apparel. And two, I honestly am not really connecting the same way because it feels like it's not made for me. So when we post all these different sizes, all these different ethnicities, um, I think that's a really impactful way. And on a more mm-hmm. tactical level, um, something we figured out just by testing early on was creating those more engaging captions and asking your audience real questions that are relevant to them. And then when we would post those, we would ask a few friends. I would just text them and say, hey, do you mind commenting on LVD's last post? They would read the post. They would comment something authentic. And then all of a sudden, when there's five comments already there, it just opens up this platform and people are willing to share. And it was a really cool thing to see. It's kind of like no one wants to be the first one. So Mm -hmm. we just asked a few people to be those first ones. And then all of a sudden, it's an open platform and everyone's sharing. 
that makes sense. Kind of get the ball rolling for for people to feel comfortable sharing by having someone else, you know, share first. Exactly. Now you mentioned email marketing has been able to is is where you launch your products to first. And I think you mentioned as well to us that you have a VIP list. Tell us a little more about this. What is the VIP list? Yeah, so we have two things going on right now. Um, we have our email list that we've been growing since day one. It was really important for us to do that because we're so dependent on Instagram early on. And at the end of the day, Instagram could close tomorrow and then you're not connected to your customers. So email lists are really the only way to go old school and have that direct customer relationship and own it. So no matter what happens, we have that list of customers. Even if Shopify closes, if MailChimp closes, we have it. So that was a really important thing for us. So we said, okay, how can we convince people to join an email list? Because email lists are not always fun, right? It's like annoying, always mm-hmm. spamming your inbox. So we decided we could do exclusive deals that only the email list gets these discounts. And then more than anything, we were launching our collections early. And that was cool because people would go on social media after and you know post their order. And then other people would get jealous because they can't order yet when they go to the website. So it was really pushing to get more and more. And then just actually this month, um, growing off of that, we've relaunched a loyalty program. So it's essentially going to be an even more tiered system of our email list. So when you hit certain tiers, you'll get um, free shipping off an order. You'll get certain deals that even the rest of the email list won't get. And then when you hit our top one, you can get things like always 10% off your orders, even more exclusive deals, and really just sweetening that pot all the way up. Um, And it it makes people feel valued. So the loyalty program is like a point-based system based on how much they've how much they've spent. Yeah, so we have points earned for spending, but also for things like following us on Instagram, following us on Facebook, sharing us on Facebook, doing like a product review per week, um, having a birthday, and then it actually gives everyone a unique referral code, which is kind of cool. So if you're always posting about LBD, you actually have a unique URL that you can post, and if somebody signs up for our loyalty program through that, you both get $5 off. So it's a really cool win-win and it makes, you know, the customer feel like they're doing something, but it's also rewarding them for it. And especially in the fitness niche, um, feeling like an ambassador of a brand is a really popular thing, right? Everybody wants to be sponsored right now on Instagram. So giving people those unique codes um, is a really cool way to do that without really doing it. Right. So I think the the loyalty program and the the early releases are great incentives for people to join a list. It, it was one of those things that you need to have an established brand and that people actually care about those. They care about getting an early release or they care about promoting your product before it takes effect. But the exclusive deals, I think anyone could use at any point, maybe when they kick off their, their store for the first time, that makes sense to to start with that as an incentive. What does that look like? Like how, how what kind of deals do you recommend? What kind of coupons do you recommend that that uh, listeners might want to offer to their their customers to get them on, e- on an email list? Yeah. Um, one thing that's really common you can do is giving them an immediate discount code. So if you sign up for our email list, you get 10% off your first order. That's a really popular one. Um, and then you just have to make sure that you have a strong email campaign to back that up because often people will do that, get the code and unsubscribe. I know I've done that for websites. So you have to make sure there's more reasons than that. Right. So what are you sending them? What are you sending them to keep them engaged and on the email list? Yeah. So honestly, one of the biggest things for us is actually not sending emails unless there's a very clear call to action. 
um, that's a value to them and not a value to us. And I think that's a really important difference is we, you know, start sending emails because we have access to these people, but you have to treat their inbox as almost a sacred place. And so they know if they're getting an LVD email, that means there's a promo or that means there's exclusive access to something. And they know that it's actually something that they're going to want to jump on as opposed to us trying to trick them into jumping on. But I think that having um, less frequent sales is honestly a big thing because that means that when people get the email, they're going to jump on it. There's certain websites where, you know, you're getting 25% off once a week in an email. So you're no longer really noticing those emails. But if you're only doing sales a couple times a year, it really pushes people to jump on that email. Right. Makes sense. So you also said that so when, when you get to the point where you are able to incentivize people by by giving them early access or early releases for your product lines, for your catalog, how early are we talking about? What's a good amount of kind of lead time for people that are on your list? So we always stick to like 12 to 24 hours before. So it's not too far ahead because it's really just also a tool um, to one, reward those customers, but two, get that extra promo about the collection that's coming out. Because if you do it a week before, somebody's going to see it, they're going to get jealous, and then they're going to forget by next week. So we just do that. You know, if we're launching a Thursday morning, the email list gets access like Wednesday at five or so. And then what we've actually done prior to the loyalty program that we're now starting is having that VIP list and it'll be top 50 based off lifetime spend and they would get it say Wednesday morning. So it's all within that like 24 to 48 hour period so that it really is that last minute marketing boost for you. Right. Now, once you kicked off the loyalty program, how do you promote that? Is that through the, is, do you send like an email letting people know that it exists? Like how do they know that there is a loyalty program? Yeah. So we do have um, a little floating icon on our website when you first go on that people will notice, but we also just did a soft launch with a, a product collection that we had come out. So when we were doing the emails about the collection, we had a little, you know, point at the end of the email, like, hey, our loyalty program is starting soon. Get ahead of the game and get some points for your purchase. So that's that same, like, making people feel like they have an advantage is a really useful tool. So a lot of people signed up through that. And then we're going to do an official launch. And with that, um, it's actually going to be this weekend. We're going to do an email campaign as well as some social media posts and 25% off all tees. So it's that reason to get people on the website. And then when they're on the website, we have a blog there about the loyalty program and we have other ways to, um, you know, make that point of contact again and again to remind them about the loyalty program. And, you know, if you're buying anyways, you might as well get points for it. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about the running of the, the business from the, the side of hiring for, for the team. I took a look at the, the site at the, the about section. It looks like there are, you know, it's not just you, you and your co-founder, right? There, there are other team members. What role did you hire for, for first? So for a long time, um, we've had a really amazing group of friends that has just been so helpful. And that's part of what that is. So right now we actually only have one employee, um, but we do list our team as people who help us out. Mm-hmm. So the first, the first thing for us, actually, more than anything was that content, was how can we develop high-quality content that's going to catch people's eyes? So as I mentioned earlier, my co-founder's cousin did our first photo shoot. And then he was really interested in the brand, and he loved that we were you know, pushing ourselves to grow. So he decided he was going to push himself to grow with us, because if he wanted to be our photographer, he had to step up, based off his words, not ours. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that was one of our first ones. And then after that, we found a video guy because it was really important for us to have video content as well because that wasn't really being produced. And for him, 
Um, you know, we're all students at the time and he had just started dabbling with video and he was really interested in the idea and actually approached us. So it was a win-win. He got some videos, he got to play and basically do any kind of video features he wanted. And then we got content as a result. And we had that relationship with both our photographer and our videographer was like, you can play and you can have total creative control and we'll share the content. And that was really our main focus for the first two to three years, I would say. which is cool because they're both doing video and photography full time now. So it's, it's been cool to be able to give that value back to them as well. Right. Yeah. They definitely have the platform and the, the experience that you offered them to, to work on in, in exchange for this, this high quality content that you got. So what do you, what do you think when you, when you, when you are creating content, when the team is creating content, what do you think the founders involvement should be when it comes to photography or video content like what kind of influence do you have or do you give them a lot of free reign to kind of run with you know their own ideas like how much involvement do you recommend founders have i think it really depends on how clear your brand is and obviously the more clear you can get it the better and then the more you can step out so we try to make sure that our photographer and our videographer have a very clear understanding of who we want to be, where we want to go, what the big picture is, even if that's not what we are right now. So early on, a lot of that would be, you know, sitting down and finding photos, finding videos that we both really liked and dissecting why it was that we liked them so that we could bring all that into our content. And we really do try to enable them. So even just this past year, we re-sat down and we said, okay, what are the themes in our images that we really like? When there's a photo that I really like, and then there's one that I'm not a huge fan of that they took, what is that difference? And we were able to identify very, very small things. But, you know, we moved from, hey, we want videos and photos of squats and deadlifts to, okay, a photo that has a certain energy to it or a photo that implies movement. These were very small themes, but we were finding them across all of the content that was doing well and that we felt both best related to the brand. So I really think if you can just empower them by understanding your brand, it's a really great way to let them feel in control and give them something to own, but also for you to be able to step back and just know when you give them that apparel to go shoot, you're going to be getting some amazing shots back and it's exactly what you want. Right. I think a lot of founders that aren't design oriented kind of just avoid this entire process, but you don't have to describe what you want with words from scratch. You can start with finding videos and photos that you like and talk about why you like it, which is the process you guys went through. Then over time, you'll have your own content to dissect and and then that should give you a lot more, uh, get, get a little more precise with your direction because you're working from something that's even closer to your brand. So I think that's great that you don't just kind of try to, you know, write, write, write a bunch of things that you want. You start with what already, with, you know, assets, with photos and videos that already exist and then go from there. So the video content, is that going up on Instagram? Like where, where's the video content going? Yeah, so we've played with both Facebook and Instagram for video. Um, right now with Instagram, we like to still keep it to like 15 to 20 seconds. Um, that first started when Instagram videos were that long. And then what we noticed was unless it's telling um, a really important narrative, we like to keep it to still that 15 to 20 seconds because that's you know fast-paced, how you're going to keep someone's attention that long. It's actually a pretty long time when you're watching something on Instagram. Um, so we only dabble over that time frame if there's a narration to the video so someone telling their actual story along with the visuals 
um, which we've only done a few times. And those are really powerful too, but you have to use them sparingly. If you're doing that every week, people start to ignore them. It's just like any type of content. And then we also mm-hmm. found that video does well on Facebook. So it's important to keep up with what these social media, social media platforms are pushing themselves, right? Because we all know for a while and still today, like if you scroll through your Facebook feed, you can barely stop without landing on a video. So video is really prominent on Facebook. So we just started creating video for Facebook to get seen. And that was really powerful. And it's a different way for people to share it because they can tag their friends on Instagram. But unless you have a repost app, it's hard to download the video and share it. Right. That's a good point that it's not so not only about being on the social media platforms that your customers are on, but then creating the right type of content based on what the platform itself wants to push. Like you're saying, Facebook really wants to push a video right now. So by producing video for for Facebook, you get that kind of organic lift, kind of little bonus points essentially from Facebook to help push your your content out there for for cheaper, you know, potentially. Um, okay, cool. So how often are you guys doing product launches today? So right now we usually do about, I would say four to five a year. Um, we try to space them often about eight weeks after. So we'll have some that aren't full collections, but we usually have four to five full collections. And that means, you know, we're doing the marketing ahead of time. We're sending it to some people to post ahead of time. Um, a collection typically has some sort of theme to it. Um, and that also have its own color palette, its own fonts that we use. So we really try to make it thematic. And honestly, we've been finding it really um, enticing for customers. Yeah. Can you walk us through the, the design process? Because it sounds like you're doing a lot of obviously prep work, right? There's a theme, there's a color palette, there's fonts involved. Like who's involved in, in the design and what is, how long does it take to, to, to go through something like this? Yeah, so it's definitely one of those things that falls into the panicked back end of a startup for us. Um, it's funny because from the outside, it looks really well thought out. And then we had um, a designer who was actually a customer. And then we brought her on board for her third year of school last year. And she was like, wow, I thought you guys like totally had your stuff together. And it's not so much that on the inside, right? But all that's important is letting the customer think that. So we've definitely developed it a lot. But we usually start with whatever's drawing um, our eye at that time, like certain styles that we're personally attracted to. And then we kind of build it off. You know, we always have one or two ideas. And then we'll start with that. And then we'll kind of look at what products do we want to have? Because the hard thing with designing a collection is you have the actual designs and then you have the products that it's going on, right? So do we want a hoodie? Do we want a crew neck? Do we, how many t-shirts do we want? What colors of t-shirts? Um, and it's this little back and forth dance of like, we'll decide, okay, we think these are the products we want. And then we'll start working on the designs. And then we'll really like the idea of this one design that's being designed for a t-shirt, but then we decided it's better for a hoodie. So there's this constant back and forth of like, okay, so now what will the collection look like? And what colors do we want? And then there's always just this one moment where the theme just hits us. And then it really just starts snowballing from there. And the designs become more natural. We narrow in on those colors. There's always that last minute tweak of like, there might be one color that you really want in it, but when you step back, it's not working with the rest. So you save that color for the next collection. And we've done a lot of designs that were designed, you know, even a year before they come out because we just can't get them to fit with a collection. But then when we find the right collection for them to fit, 
it can be our best product. But we know that if we designed it and released it the year before, it wouldn't have done well because it just didn't fit. So there's so much back and forth. But honestly, it's it's a fun process. It's just a lot. <laughs> right. So once the design is done, actually, how, how long did it, that, would you say like a, a process takes when you guys are designing a collection? Uh, we usually end up doing some back and forth over two to three weeks. Got it. So once it's done, what happens next? Like what what happens? Is it going right to production? Like how do you guys take the design and, and turn it into products that can land in customers' hands? Yeah. So the next step is definitely looking at the budget. Um, we try to stick to specific budgets for collection launches. So then seeing, you know, how much we want to order of each item and what sizes, what sizes would do well with certain styles, uh, figuring it out that way and then figuring out a budget that's tied to that and seeing if we need to tweak. And then from there, we would reach out to our manufacturers and get that conversation going, making sure there's no barriers. You know, sometimes they might not have that fabric color or they might not have that style right now. Um, so having that discussion with them and then just placing that order usually takes about three weeks or so. And then we'll get it in, hopefully have enough time to do some photo shoots, all that stuff, um, log it into our inventory, and then we're basically good to go online. And I try to do the Shopify end of things, like creating those products, creating the product descriptions, all that, as soon as we've got those orders in, because then you know what your product is. And there's nothing worse than being in the middle of trying to do all these photo shoots and get the marketing ready. And then you're like, oh, wow, I need to make 20 products in Shopify. So it's really important to kind of get that stuff that seems smaller out of the way earlier. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the the site, can you tell us a little bit more about the the apps or tools that you use to, to run the business? So it's funny. I was thinking about this question, like what tools have been the most helpful for us? And funnily enough, like I find Shopify on its own has been the most impactful because the fact that, you know, there's an amazing mobile app that they just keep improving. Like now I can pretty much do anything that I could do on my desktop on the Shopify phone app, which is amazing for when you're on the run, when you realize something's wrong. Um, It's really good for putting out fires. And then also the POS app. So that's what we've always used at all of our events to have a full POS system that's connected to your online inventory right from the start has just made things so much easier even uh, saving money on our designs, like being able to take a free theme instead of paying someone to make you a custom website. Those are huge barriers to new businesses. And to be able to just take those out of the equation for, you know, an annual fee has been so, so huge for us, especially being, you know, younger and not having huge budgets mm-hmm. for it. So that would definitely be the biggest thing. Um, I think in terms of like the Shopify app, um, I use Minifier a lot. Again, small thing, but basically it will take all the photos you upload and it optimizes them for the web because one of the biggest things that will affect your conversion rates is a slow website. So if those pages are taking too long, people will go. We have very short uh, attention spans now. So that's been a really great one where I think it's maybe, maybe 50 cents an image, but it's super affordable. I just click it. It just goes and it makes our website that much more ready to convert. Um, and also notify me. Another one where it's like super simple, but basically you can decide how often they email you and they let you know when products running low in certain sizes. This one's been really great because you know if you need to reorder something, but also it's a great way to catch inventory errors. So sometimes you'll get it where it says like, oh, you only have two of these left. And you're like, well, I just saw my inventory. I have 20. 
So it's a good way to make sure that everything's always up to date on your website. So you're not losing opportunities to sell. Is that an app? Yeah, it's called Notify Me. Notify Me. Okay, got it. Anything else? Uh, Well, and then launching our loyalty program lately, um, we use Smile.io, which was previously known as Sweet Tooth. Something really cool with this company is we had talked to them a while back and the program just really didn't make sense for where we were at. And then when we touched base at the end of last year, they've actually been constantly making changes. And now they have a really beautiful program that makes sense for businesses of all sizes. And it made it so easy to just kick up a loyalty program that fit all of our needs. And we're really excited about that one. Awesome. Did you guys design the website in-house? Yep. Everything that's on our website, we've done in-house. Even if you go to like the about pages or any drop-down pages, um, Shopify does have limited abilities to you know change up those pages. So we've even done things like using Canva. If you're familiar with it, the graphic design tool, mm-hmm. I'll make an image in Canva and put it in the Shopify page and it looks like it's been custom built, but it's really actually just a photo. So there's lots, yeah, there's lots of ways to hack it. Yeah, that makes sense. Have there been any recent changes that you've made to the site that have made a big difference in, in the sales or conversions? Uh, well, there's three things that I think have helped a lot with our website. Uh, one is free shipping promos. So having it clearly available on your website when people check out or when they're on browsing pages, you can show them. There's some apps that will let you show like how much more they have to spend to get free shipping. But that was a really awesome way to actually increase our average cart value by $10 a cart super easily. So we just looked at what the average cart spend was. We put free shipping a little bit above that. And then all of a sudden we were getting higher average carts. Um, Another one is using those real people, just like we do on Instagram. We use real people in our products. And so it shows people like what it looks like on different sizes, on male or female. And then in the description, we actually link to all of those people's Instagrams. So you can, you know, you might not be able to tell from one photo if somebody is a similar body type. So it lets you go click, you know, take a look through and decide what size you'd be. And that has been really helpful in getting rid of some barriers for people to buy, but also helping to reduce our exchanges or refunds. Yeah. And then a third one would be um, focusing on long tail keywords with your blog posts. So for us, um, you know, people get really caught up in making blogs about their products. Instead, we try to make blogs for our audience. So it could have nothing to do with our products, but as long as it's something of interest to our audience, um, for example, we have one blog post that's actually from 2015 on alternatives to pre-workout supplements because a lot of people don't like taking pre-workout supplements. So we came up with a list of alternatives and we still get conversions from that every month. Like we're the number one ranked Google results for that. And it's such a small thing, but it's something that our audience is constantly looking at. So then when they search that, they come across our brand and it's a new way to get new customers. Got it. So where do you want to see the business go over this this year? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something that we're kind of tackling right now. Um, we've had a lot of growth from 2017 to 2018. So it was very go, go, go in 2018. So we almost had to slow down and reset on the back end. So that was a really big thing for us in 2018 was, you know, slowing down those front end efforts so that we could collect ourselves, get all of our accounting in order, make sure all the business stuff is good. So this year, we really want to ramp that back up um, and grow outside of our niche. So we're really pushing to grow for anyone who creates their own standards and has fitness as part of their life. It doesn't just have to be powerlifters. And that's kind of our next step. 
Awesome. So lvdfitness.com is a website. Thank you so much for your time, Mallory. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.